0: Our first talk was about Tamar and Judah. They had a son called Perez, meaning breakthrough. Down the line from Perez came Salmon, who married Rahab. From Rahab came Boaz. Boaz married Ruth. And now from their child, Obed, and his father, Jesse, we're coming down now to King David and this lady, Bathsheba, who was in his life. So, Father, I just pray now that you would settle us and we just thank you for the words that have been spoken. And I pray, Lord, just as we, as we just consciously open up our spirit to you, I ask, O oh Lord, that you would just come now mm-hmm. and that you would speak words of life into all our hearts. Lord, would you just minister where you see that we need to be ministered to. And Holy Spirit, may we really receive from you uh, and may we leave tonight knowing mm-hmm. that uh, you have done a permanent work in us we just give you thanks father ahead of time that tonight you're going to speak and you're going to crown the weekend with what you want to say to us through this word in jesus name Bathsheba you know it's interesting that Bathsheba all the other women um, we've talked about were really from a pagan background but Bathsheba would have grown up knowing about the God of Israel. And in fact, her father was one of David's mighty men. You're, those of you who know the story of David will know that when he was on the run before he was made king of Israel, that God had chosen him to replace King Saul. And King Saul was a became a very jealous man. He became a man who, who lost sight of, of who he was and who God was. And 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 saul pursued him and and wanted to kill david because he knew that god had anointed david to be the next king and so during that time of uh, of running uh, away from saul in the wilderness and you can go down to the wilderness of judea and we've been down there on our trips to israel and you can see where the caves and the place of Adullam, and and you can see the the place where um where he would have he would have spent a lot of his time uh, and it's very interesting because that's where the mighty men, that's where men who admired David came out and said, we want to stand with you. We can see that God's with you, David, and we want to stand with you. And they became, the Bible describes those men as being, they all came out. It says that they came out and they were in distress, a lot of them, and, and they were poor and they were in need. I forget the three words, in distress, um, in debt, people who were in debt, and something else, I forgot the other one, and and it ended up that these men, because they spent time with David in the wilderness, that they ended up becoming (coughs) mighty men, strong men who could fight, and one of these mighty men was Bathsheba's father, and so it's quite possible that Bathsheba, as a young girl, may possibly have been with David growing up, when her father was one of David's men. On top of that her grandfather was an advisor to david uh, so she was uh, well known and knew knew about david from she was very very young and and was brought up really to uh, to know to know um about the god of israel and yet we're going to read a story tonight about her and about david and we're going to see that although david god loved him so much and although david uh ended up in a you know the lord the words that the lord spoke about david was that he was a man after his own heart and he loved the lord and as a young boy i believe you know before god anointed him to be king i believe that was probably when he wrote the 23rd psalm the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he had a heart for god he was a god seeker and yet we're going to see david tonight at a time in his life when he was at his lowest at a time in his life where he made a, a, a huge a huge problem for himself and a time when he got away from God. So we're going to read the story and like the other times, we're going to kind of go through it. And 2 Samuel 11 is where we're going to start. And we're going to trust the Lord to bring this, this message alive to us because I really believe that God wants to, to speak to us a special word. Our other woman, we've talked about breakthrough and boundaries and we talked about beauty. And this one is really, as I said earlier, it's about uh, a bad start, but a bright future. Because Bathsheba and David had a very bad start. And you know, as we look around the room, uh, we can all acknowledge that because we were born in sin and because, can you hear me okay? Yeah, Because, because of the fall in the Garden of Eden, that all of us have had a bad start. And it's only by the grace of God who has saved us that we now can look forward to a bright future so let me read the story to you in the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war david sent joab that was the general of his armies sent joab and the israelite army to fight the ammonites they destroyed the ammonite army and laid siege to the city of uh, Rabbah. however listen to this william's going to sing for us however david stayed behind in jerusalem he must have got fed up with all this fighting and all of going to war. Are we okay? Sorry, you're, you're all sitting in the dark. You haven't <laughs> <don't laughs> discovered light switches yet. <laughs> thank you. No, thank we're, thank we're you. Going to change this okay. <laughs> okay, so it says, I want you to get this first verse, verse two. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed. <laughs> David was having the, 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 he was living the good life. He wasn't off to war fighting battles. He was lying up in the palace and it was his midday rest and he was crawling out of his bed when he should have been away with his men doing the business for God. And it says he went out for a walk on the roof of the palace and as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath and he sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, that was one of the mighty men, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home, and later when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. So we're just going to stop it there for the story, and we're going to just um, kind of go over what um, what this really meant. You get the picture. I, I believe that that David that that he was very obviously very familiar with Bathsheba's family because Uriah her fa- or Iliam her father was one of his mighty men, and he probably knew Bathsheba when she was a lot younger. But. He probably hadn't seen her and didn't for a long time and hadn't realized that she was married and she'd actually married Uriah the Hittite who was also one of David's mighty men and Uriah was away at the war fighting the war that David should have been fighting so at this moment uh, of time David is not in a good place with God he's living a good life the easy life and his eyes spotted Bathsheba and he lusted after her basically and you know there's a A verse in uh, in James that talks about how, you know, I'm I'm going to read it actually. I'd love a big, big, big table here that I could put all these Bibles on. But uh, what do I say? I want to read this verse to you because, you see, a lot of the trouble we get into is because of what we see, what we lay our eyes on. And I think that was what some of the, Joy was saying as well, you know, when we see something and that's why, you know, at the minute, the enemy, I believe, is really making a huge attack, especially on, on, on guys, but on women as well, you know, for the internet and for pornography and all of that stuff, because um, it says in the Bible that um, each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So it's so easy to be drawn, have this lust in us. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So what happens is that we see with the eye gate. And it creates in us something that we want. Stirs up a lustfulness for something that we really should know that we shouldn't have. David laid eyes on this beautiful woman. The Bible describes her as a woman of unusual beauty. And she was having, she was perfectly innocent. She was having, a, in those days, in fact, in, in Jerusalem, you can see some of these baths where they went. They walked down the steps into these baths where we saw them in Israel. And, uh, and they would have gone in for a purification kind of a bath after they had their monthly cycle. And this is what this girl is doing. But she's doing it outside. And uh, again, when you go to Jerusalem and you see um, where they believe they found a lot of a lot of stuff that they believe where David's palace was, you can see how it was that bit higher up and how he could have looked down on the roof. So he's standing up after his nice nap, and he's out <laughs> strolling about, not thinking about those men out in the battlefield at all, and he's looking around where he shouldn't be looking, and he lays eye lays eyes on a beautiful naked woman just stepping out of her bath. You get the scene. <laughs> So his lust has, has, has stirred up something, and he's thinking to himself, I'm, I don't know what he thought to himself, but I'm guessing he thought to himself, I'm the king, I can have whatever I want. And so he he asked who she was, found out that she was the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Did that stop him? No. He sent for her, brings her up to the palace. Now, we're not told about Bathsheba's part in this. We don't know whether she was unwilling to go, but. David is described in the Bible as being a very good looking guy and he was the hero of Israel and he was the king of Israel. So I would be surprised if she wasn't flattered and if she wasn't maybe even, I don't know if any of you have read um, The Lineage of Grace. Mm Uh, where where Francine Rivers tells these stories, uh, read it again if you if you feel like it because it's beautiful. And she kind of portrays Bathsheba as you know being attracted to David even when she was a young child, running around with his mighty men out in the in the wilderness. And that may have been the case, I don't know. But she comes to the palace at his invitation, probably escorted there by some of his 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 palace servants, and. Uh, and they have relationships together, and then she slips back to her own home again. And then, sometime later, she sends him this message to say that she is pregnant. Now, can you just imagine, uh, David's In those days, for pregnancy outside of marriage, I mean, adultery was was just the greatest sin, and in fact, was punishable by stoning if they were going to carry the letter of the law. And so, he is very aware that not only is he in trouble, but Bathsheba's in trouble. And so David's immediate. What do we do whenever we sin? Usually, we try to cover it up. Would you agree with me? And so he tries to cover it up. Let me read to you what happened. Then it says, after David had heard this, then David sent word to Joab, that was the general of his army, sent me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. And when Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Then he told Uriah, go on home and relax. And David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. He was thinking if Uriah goes back and sleeps with his wife, then he'd think that the child is his. So do you see how he's trying to cover up? But it says here that after he had told Uriah to go, it says, but... Verse 9 of chapter 11 in Second Samuel. But Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. And when David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked, What's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? And Uriah replied, The ark of the Lord, that was the presence of God, which was the ark of the covenant, and the armies of Israel and Judah, are living in tents and joab and my master's men are camping in the open fields how could i go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife i swear i would never do such a thing well said david and he's getting he's going from bad to worse now well said david stay here today and david told him and tomorrow you can go back to the army so uriah stayed in jerusalem that day and the next then david invited him to dinner and got him drunk but even then he couldn't get uriah to go home to his wife again because uriah slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard so david's trying to cover up what's happened and he's actually stooped that low that he's he's started to drink with uriah and got him tipsy hoping that that would put his guard down and he would go back and sleep with his wife still didn't work and now the next morning, David's going to really stoop to the very pits. There's more. There's worse to come. You know, when we start lusting with our eyes and when we start to, to do stuff that we know that God doesn't want us to do, do you know the enemy would want to bring us right down as far as he could? And so here's what happened the next day. Verse 14. So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. And the letter instructed Joab, listen to this. Station Uriah... On the front on the front lines where the battle is fiercest and then pull back so that he will be killed so joab assigned uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy enemy that where he knew the strongest men were fighting and when the enemy soldiers came out of the city to fight uriah the hittite was killed along with several other israelite soldiers and so david has really uh, out of fear of being exposed Uh, trying to cover up to to make things okay for for Bathsheba and for himself he has actually arranged for this man to be put out onto the battlefield and for the soldiers to pull back so that he would end up being killed and of course then Joab sent a message to, to David to tell him that the deed was done and so it says further down the chapter that when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead she mourned for him And when the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. Mm -hmm. Now, when I think of of Bathsheba, and I think of this whole story, uh, it's such a sad story, and it's such a bad start for these two, isn't it? Because uh, their beginning of the relationship has started off in such a terrible way with adultery and uh, we might as well name it although david didn't kill him physically himself he planned it would happen uh, and really we might as well call it what god calls it was murder and uh, david is at the lowest point in his life and david uh, david is um is far away from god you know it shows me again what any of us what any of us might do if we if we start to to lust with our eyes, if we start to go down the wrong path, the enemy will try to bring us down to the very gutter. He will try to destroy us. And that's why it's so important to listen to what God's saying. That's why it's so important to to not only hear God, but to obey him and to trust him in every situation. And so this is a situation where, where these two now, Uh, finally ended up where she is now married to David because of the situation and you know I've been thinking about her and I've been thinking how David by this time had quite a few other wives and he had a whole lot of children because back then in biblical days uh, men especially kings felt it was quite okay to have a number of wives because you know they would be one of David's wives came from another country and that was like making peace with that country and it was almost like making treaties with other countries and they would marry the wife and and so David had ended up with a lot of wives and he had ended up with a lot of children and he hadn't been very good at disciplining the children but can you imagine Bathsheba being brought up to the palace and all the whispers that would have gone on because I'm sure that she was seen being brought to the palace to David before Uriah died can you imagine the whispers and especially as she's beginning to show that she's pregnant and people are beginning to do their sums and count up how many weeks she's been, she's been married to David. Can you imagine what it was like for her to leave her family and be brought up to the palace and to hear the whispers and to see the other wives looking at her with suspicion and probably not wanting to have anything to do with her. Can you imagine what it was like when David had to take care of the other wives? Because having many wives, people might, a lot of men might think, oh, what bliss? But I'll tell you, if any wit, they'll know it's not bliss. That was disaster. No wonder God says one man, one woman. Because to have a whole lot of wives was not going to be easy for any man. And trying to keep them all pacified and keep them all satisfied. <laughs> I would say David had his work cut out. <laughs> and can you imagine what that was like, the loneliness that Bathsheba would have had and knowing that he was sleeping with other wives? Can you imagine how she would have felt and how how robbed she would have felt that, that here she was and, and in a way he can carry on with his life but she's had to leave her family and here she is and she can feel this baby in her womb. And then it says that uh, the baby was born. You know, it's um it's amazing that uh, it's amazing that god was watching all of this and and i believe that during that time that david was trying to cover up everything and i guess he was trying to not even allow himself to think too much about it he was trying to pretend that it hadn't happened and then after this child is born something happened that was very significant god sent a prophet to david a prophet called Nathan and he sent Nathan to go right up to the palace. Can you see this boy was stepping in and he stepped up to the palace and he starts to tell David a story. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it, it's, it's, too, it's too long. We're having time. I want to get to the crunch of what I want to say tonight. But basically he tells him a story about this man that had, had nothing, who had just one wee pet lamb. And he said, and there was another man and he had plenty. He had, he had lots of, and you know what he did? He went and he took the wee pet lamb off. Of the man and david gets on his high horse and he says what he says bring the man that man will have to pay for that that's terrible and nathan looks him in the eye and nathan says the prophet can you just see the big i imagine the big long bony finger and he says you are the man because he had taken all uriah only had the one wife and he loved her and david had taken he had stolen his pet lamb. He had stolen Bathsheba, and he had behaved very, very badly. and And this prophet began to tell David that God was pointing out his sin, and he began to tell him that God was going that David was going to that there would be consequences in his own family, and that you know there would be certain things would happen. And David is is hearing this and realizing that God is disciplining him. Do you know that when God loves you, and you go the wrong way, do you know that He disciplines you? Do you know that discipline's a sign of love? Mm-hmm. Do you know when God disciplines me? I over these last many years, I would say, and, and very often He does, He disciplines me for pride, He disciplines me for, for doing the saying the wrong thing or talking about somebody, I'll feel him coming along, you shouldn't have said that. So often we can just we can just grieve God just by the things that we say. And you know, when I do that so often and I just feel God saying, Oh, that was wrong. That was wrong and i've started to say oh thank you god thank you for disciplining me because the bible says that those that he loves he disciplines Mm -hmm. and the bible says that if you belong to him he will discipline you because you you're a true child of god because a father or a mother who loves their children will discipline their children and so that's a when when i feel god saying maureen that wasn't right i say god thank you i repent (laughs) i'm sorry lord i repent because you know what repentance is such a gift from god when we repent and we say, oh God, I'm truly sorry. Do you know what? He washes us clean. And, and, and David, he cries out to God whenever Nathan exposes him. And, and David, David recognises and confesses before Nathan that, he, that he's wrong. And, uh, and then Nathan says to him, he says, uh, but Nathan's last word to David was, the Lord has put away your sin, you shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. I've been thinking a lot about this child this week. Do you know if this baby that Bathsheba had, if that baby had grown up, do you know everybody in Israel would have been pointing the finger at that child? That child would not have had an easy life. And I believe that the Lord was thinking of the child when he took the child away as well as punishing, punishing David and Bathsheba. And can you imagine Bathsheba nursing this baby and all of a sudden this child starts to be unwell. And she's wondering and she's starting to cry out to God, Lord, please don't let him die. And the Bible tells us, let me read you a few verses where it says that the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David and it became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but David would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died. So can you imagine David and he's he's not eating and he's on his face before the Lord and he's crying to spare the child and Bathsheba's nursing the child and I can just see her crying out to God and watching this wee baby and saying that that she could do nothing about it. And then it it says here that uh, when the child died, it says on the seventh day when the child died, it says the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said indeed while the child was alive, we spoke to David. And he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him now that the child is dead? He may do himself some harm. Verse 19. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord, and he worshipped. It's an amazing story, isn't it? You see, I believe, and if you we haven't time tonight, but if you were to read Psalm 51, where David pours out his heart and he says, He, he asks the Lord to forgive him his trespasses, his sin. Let me read you a couple of the verses because. If we And in fact, there's more than, than the, that psalm. There are other psalms as well where he's crying out to God. And I believe at that time that David was so remorseful and so repentant that he was crying out to God for forgiveness. And he said, here's what he says in, in Psalm 51 to God. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me. I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones that you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart O God and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Then he goes on to say and uphold me By your generous spirit. Then said David. I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me. He says in verse 17. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. O God. The God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord open my lips. And my mouth shall show forth your praise. And so there's other Psalms as well where David talks in these Psalms about his bones being broken. I believe he was so grieved that he had hurt God and he was so sorry for what he had done that he actually was a man who was truly repentant. And when he realised that the child was, was, might die, he was praying out for the Lord to spare the child because the child was innocent. And he was, he was crying out for God to spare the child. But when the child died, he realised he would get up and wash himself and he would trust that God had done the right thing. He would get up and worship. And then, of course, I can imagine Bathsheba doesn't tell you that much about her at this point, but uh, I can imagine how when the baby died in her arms, I can imagine her grief. I can imagine how she felt such shame and grief and sorrow and how she felt so maybe dirty even and and felt that people were talking about her but more than anything that this baby that she'd carried and this baby that she loved so much that the baby was dead and I can imagine just the shame that she felt and mixed with grief and all of those feelings that overwhelm you especially at the death of a little baby and it says it says that that David went to Bathsheba after the child died. And it says, let me read it to you. He went to her and um, they said, the servant said to David, um, then the servant said to David, what is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. And David said, while the child was alive, I fasted and prayed. For I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. I love that verse because that shows me that when a little baby dies, that that little baby goes to be with heaven, goes to, straight to heaven. That the blood of Jesus atones for that child, and that baby goes straight to heaven. David was saying the baby's not coming back to me, but I'm going to be with the with the baby. And for those of you who have suffered the loss of a child, I just think that's a comfort to know that, that that baby can't come back to you, but that you're going to be with that baby. You're going to going to be where that baby is. And so David then says, verse 24, Then David comforted Bathsheba his wife and went into her and lay with her. So she bore a son and she called his name Solomon. Now Solomon means peace. It's the same <laughs> derivative. It comes from the, the word, the name of Rahab's wife. Salman. They both come from the same root meaning. Peace. And so I believe at this point when, when the Lord, um, when the Lord uh, stepped into the situation and, and I believe that Bathsheba got tremendous comfort when the Lord gave her another son immediately. You know there's something about, um, about David comforting Bathsheba there's something about a man and a woman being together that I believe the world has very much distorted into lustfulness and use and abuse. Sex is meant to be a beautiful gift from God. Uh, It's meant to be a a gift that, that brings comfort to a couple. It's meant to be something that, uh, that actually demonstrates the love between Christ and the church. The love between a man and a woman is meant to be where the man loves the woman as as himself. The same way that Christ loves us, his church, as himself. And there's something about a couple who really love each other. And I have no doubt in this story that David loved. He really did love, although it started off with lust. But it seems that he actually really loved this woman. And that he went in and he comforted her. And I think it's amazing that even though they had sinned sexually... And, you know, I think we should remind ourselves of what it says in First Corinthians uh, chapter 6 because it tells us there that the the sin of, um, of uh, sexual sin is actually different to any other kind of sin. I don't know how, whether uh, you've actually realised that or not. I think that's a really important thing, that sexual sin hurts us in a way that no other sin does. Let me read it to you out of... Um, First Corinthians chapter 6. It says um, "It says at the end of chapter 6, um, if I can just find it here. i turned over two pages. Seven, here we are. Um, it says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. And, and I believe that that's a big key to why, why sexual abuse and sexual sin um, brings pain. It's a, it's a, that's why so many lives are really um, destroyed because, um, because of the pain. That, but that's, why, that's why God wants us to be faithful and to use sex between one man and one woman. And that's why he doesn't want us to have premarital sex because premarital sex is, is not under the covering of God. And it's open to the enemy. How did the enemy pass through the demonic in the Old Testament, through the cult prostitutes, where where they they part of worship became having sexual relationships with cult prostitutes? Because the enemy knows that in the in the act of sexual relations that he can actually transfer spirits, evil spirits. And so, you know, it's no wonder there's such promiscuity in the world today, because the enemy knows that if he can get people to be loose in that way, that that he can do so much damage. (coughs) And how often we come across people who were abused in childhood or who were taken advantage of or who were raped or whatever, and it causes, or who just got into a relationship and and, and just uh, committed adultery or whatever. All of those things create pain don't you dare tell me it doesn't cause pain it does and yet we have a God of such grace and a God we're going to see who who loves who loves to heal us from that wound and heal us and I, I want to tell you Bathsheba's story because I think her story is amazing she had this child isn't it amazing that after that sexual sin and after even the death of her husband after the murder of her husband, after all that David had done and she being complicit with it in whatever, at whatever level she was. Isn't it amazing that the first time that David goes into her after the baby dies, that God opens her womb and she gets pregnant and she brings forth this son and it says she named him Solomon and Solomon means peace. I actually believe that at this point That Bathsheba was beginning to realise that maybe God was going to give her peace. Maybe she was longing for peace. Maybe that's why she called the child Solomon, because she was still churned up. I don't know. But it says that uh, the it says, now the Lord loved him. That's the child, that's Solomon. Now the thing is this can you get this picture? Where this baby has just been born. This is her second child. The first one has died. She's felt God's judgment. She's feeling very condemned. David's comforted her, the Lord's opened her womb, she's brought forth a second child, she calls him Solomon, she's longing for peace. And at that particular point, who comes back in the scene again but Nathan, Nathan the prophet. And what does Nathan do this time? He sends her a message, Lord help me to read this without without the tears because this just gets my heart every time. So Nathan sent. So the Lord sent word by the hand of Nathan the prophet. So so the Nathan gave her this message that the Lord had called this son, had given this son a name, and the the name that the Lord gave him was Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord. So can you imagine her and and she, and she's probably thinking, oh, here's this man Nathan coming again. What's he going to say this time? And and Nathan comes and says, the Lord sent me a message. He, he's calling this child, you've called him Solomon Peace. The Lord sent you a message to say, he's given a name to this boy and the name is, he's beloved of the Lord. I'm sure, I'm sure in my spirit that that was the beginning of Bathsheba's healing. I'm sure that's where she began to realise that God was not against her. That God still loved her. I believe that was the beginning of her road back to peace again. I believe that was where Bathsheba started to become the woman that God was going to make her. Because I'm going to tell you some stuff about Bathsheba. And and I I think you might be surprised about this woman. Because you know what? When we reach the very bottom... God wants to lift us up as high, higher than we'd ever imagine is possible. And so the story of Bathsheba doesn't end there because if we haven't time to read through all the references, but if you see, you will see that God blessed her with other sons. And do you know, she actually called one of her other sons Nathan after the prophet. Do you, can you imagine that? One of her boys is called Nathan after the prophet because she realized that God had brought judgment because God wanted to heal him. And sometimes our sins, sometimes God has to judge them. But listen, folks, it's always for our better. It's always. That's why I say to the Lord so often, if I feel I'm going astray, I say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I want to judge myself. That's why I said about this around here, if there's stuff that you know is not right, say, Lord, I'm sorry. I repent of it. I want to judge myself because I don't want you to have to judge me. I'd rather do it myself because I know if I judge myself that that then it's a quicker way through. If you wait till the Lord has to judge you on something that's wrong, then it can take you a longer way around. Why not just judge it yourself? And so I see from this moment on that Bathsheba was beginning to realise that God was for her, that he loved this baby that he had put in her womb, that this child was beloved of the Lord and that the Lord had a plan for this child's life. And as you go through the stories of Bathsheba, We don't see that much of her until towards the end of David's life. I haven't time to read you some of this. I'm going to read something in a minute, but I want to tell you this story. At the end of David's life, you begin to see this woman Bathsheba coming into her own right. Because the rest of his wives, their children were going wild. The rest of his wives, in fact, the Jewish tradition is that Nathan educated her children. And and it seems that at some point, if if you know the stories of David, you'll know that some of David's sons rebelled against him. There was rape in his family. There was sexual sin coming down the line because he hadn't disciplined his children. And there was a lot of things that happened that weren't good. And one of his sons actually tried to put him off the throne. And so there was a lot of mayhem. But in the middle of this, somehow in the shadows, you see Bathsheba beginning to step up and become a woman of dignity. And towards the end of David's life, it's Bathsheba who's talking to David about her son because David had promised her... That Solomon would become the next king and she heard that one of the other sons was trying to steal the throne out before David died and, and and she and Nathan get together the prophet Nathan and Bathsheba at the end of David's life get together and Nathan says you go in and you talk to David and tell him what's happening and then I'll come in behind you and I'll confirm it you see them working together there was no fear, I, I think, over the years that she had become the woman that God had planned her to be and that God wanted her to know that 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 her son was going to be on the throne. And so Nathan and her worked together and at the end of it all, Solomon did come to the throne. And Solomon became the next king and his king, his rule was going to be marked with, um, it was going to be marked with, uh, with peace. There was going to be peace during his reign. Now, we know that, I'm not going to go down the whole line with Solomon, but... I believe that first. Here we are. I believe that, um, that, that Nathan and, and Bathsheba were lining up together, and that she, she had learnt from that bad time in her life, that bad start with uh, her marriage to David. I just want to go back again to that whole point that uh, we talked about earlier uh, today about how we have a choice. We we really don't have the choice as to what time in history we were born, what DNA we have. You know that quote that I read. You we don't have a choice about certain circumstances in our life, but we do have a choice about what kind of woman we're going to be. And Bathsheba, I believe, stepped up to the mark. Now, what I want to say to you about her, it's a wee bit controversial. All right, but in Proverbs thirty one. Do you all know the the the, the chapter in Proverbs thirty one where it talks about the virtuous woman? You all know that, and it's um, it talks about how about how this was given to King Lemuel. Now, it would seem that 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 King Lemuel. Uh, now, I'm saying I'm telling you this, and there's a bit of controversy about it but a lot of commentaries would agree with what I'm going to say. I have checked this out, all right? And a lot of reputable commentaries would agree with what I'm about to say. That it may well be that King Lemuel was a pet name that Bathsheba had for King Solomon. We know that that this word, it says, the words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. And I'm going to read you a few words here because i actually believe i really believe that this was written by solomon and that king lemuel was a, a pet name that his mother gave him and maybe it was deliberate even that he didn't want to expose that it was Bathsheba who had written these words but as as solomon the point is this that as solomon was starting his reign i believe his mother was pointing out the dangers that there could be for him when he came to the throne And here's what she says. She says, My son, the son of my womb, and she says, verse 3, Do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to those which destroy kings. She said, It's not for kings, O Lemuel, it's not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law, and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. It's not for kings to give strong drink to him who is perishing. Sorry, give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to those who are bitter of heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. So she's saying, you're the king now. Don't you get intoxicated with wine because that'll take you off track. Wine is for people that are about to die. It's not for a king. A king needs to keep his his wits about him. And then she goes on to say, um, Open your mouth for the speechless in the cause of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. So here's the point that I'm trying to make. That Bathsheba, from this bad start, where she was drawn into this adulterous relationship, where she was drawn into this whole uh, whole drama of the child dying and her husband being murdered, All of this gossip and all of this talk, all of this shame that was over her life. The point is this, that I believe as she made it, I believe she made a choice. I believe that Bathsheba made a choice of the kind of woman that she wanted to be. And I believe that from that moment that God sent her the message from Nathan, that the child was beloved of the Lord. I believe that she felt that God's grace was upon her and she began to become the woman that God wanted her to be. And that's the point I want to get across to you tonight. Whatever's in your past, whatever the enemy brings around you to cause you shame, you need to know that God does not want you to dwell on that. He wants you to realise that he, he's calling you to be the woman that he has always planned for you to be. But you know what? It's up to you. It's up to you to decide that that is what you want for your life. It's up to you to decide what kind of woman that you want to be. And when you start to say, God, I want to be your woman. I want to do things your way. And you really mean it. Do you know what? I believe that God will start to show you the things in your life that you need to change. And I believe that Bathsheba and her relationship with Nathan became so strong that she called one of her sons after him. I believe that she began to learn from the prophet instead of running away from the prophet. I believe she began to listen to the prophetic word of God. I believe that she began to allow God to make her into a woman of dignity, to such dignity that she actually was able to give such words of wisdom to Solomon before, before or even after he came to the throne, where she was saying, Solomon, this is the kind of a king that you need to be. Don't you be getting built up with woman now we do we know he did actually he disobeyed her in the end but this chapter this is i believe this is a tribute to Bathsheba and i know it's a bit controversial and i know that uh, that that some people don't think that's the case but the point is that Bathsheba became a woman of dignity i believe and at the end of David's life you can see her moving around the palace and speaking into her husband's life uh, as a as a queen she has somehow risen up uh, and somehow become more like a queen than all of the other wives of David. And of course, uh, Solomon was her son and Solomon became the next king. And through the line of Solomon eventually, we come right down where Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem. So do you see the top Tamar and Judah? Mm-hmm. Then there was Solomon and Rahab. Then there was Boaz and Ruth. And from Boaz and Ruth came to King David, who married Bathsheba. And through that line, Jesus was born. What about the grace of God, folks? What about how God can turn around the stuff that we get so wrong at the beginning of our lives? Listen, God wants to do so much more in your life than you could ever, ever possibly imagine. So I want to challenge you, and I'm challenging myself as well. Times might be tough with you at the moment, but I want to challenge you that God, has, God wants you to be a tough woman. God does not want you to be a wimp. Let me read to you what Amy Carmichael said. She said, Let us not be surprised when we have to face difficulties. When the wind blows on a tree, the roots stretch and grow the stronger. And let it be so with us. Let us not be weaklings weaklings, yielding to every wind that blows. But let us be strong in spirit to resist. And I think it's so important that we learn and we understand that life is not going to be easy. Life isn't easy. We might get little periods where it's nice but life basically is difficult but god wants us to actually allow the wind of adversity to strengthen our roots and to make a stronger woman and if we have made mistakes and if things have gone wrong that god is all too willing to send us a message i I would love that we could get get a, a real appreciation of the power of god's prophetic word you know when we think of the prophetic word so often we think of somebody telling you the future. And that sometimes can be true. It can be somebody speaking out something into your life that's going to happen in the future. But I believe the prophetic word from a biblical point of view, especially in the New Testament, the prophetic word is a rhema word, a word that God gives. It can be given through the, from the platform here. It can be given as somebody's praying with you. It's a word where somebody speaks and the Holy Spirit has anointed that word and it goes right into your heart. Just like that missile that we talked about on Friday night. And I would love tonight that you, that God would just put a missile right into your heart and just, you know, I've been thinking this last few days about how how in Israel, you know, these different uh, ways of uh, defense that they have now in the Israeli army, whenever there are these um, missiles coming from Syria or from other countries, they have a number of things now I've forgotten and I think the latest one's David Sling, they've called it, but they actually can set this thing up and it just follows and it just goes right to the missile and just disempowers it. And I feel that we need to know as women that through the power of prayer and through, the, through b- keeping ourselves right with God, it's so important that, that, we, that we just confess our sin. It's so important that we keep a clean, a clean sheet with God because we are sinners and we are going to get it wrong. Don't be surprised when you do things. That surprise yourself. Don't be surprised because we've all got a sinful nature. But the thing, the secret is, get straight to God and say, God, I'm so sorry I did that. Please wash me clean, and don't listen to the lies of the enemy, because yeah. he wants to put you down, and God wants to lift you up. Yeah. And God's saying, no matter about the mistakes, no matter about the stuff, I want, I want you to know that I have a bright future for you. I want you to know that um, that I want to bring change into your life. I read this quote from Warren Wiersbe: Real, real contentment must come from within. You and I cannot change or control the world around us, but we can change and control the world within us. And God, I believe, wants to do change this weekend. He wants to bring you comfort and he wants to, he wants to, to bring a real change into your life. But I just feel it's so, so important that we realise that change is possible. And I want to read to you that quote again that I read earlier today. Nothing paralyzes our lives like the attitude that things can never change. We need to remind ourselves that God can change things. Outlook determines outcome. If we see only the problems, we will be defeated. But if we see the possibilities in the problems, we can have victory. Mm -hmm. And we can. It's all about what are you thinking? What are you listening to? Whose voice are you listening to? If you're listening to God's voice, you you will be lifted up. At the end of David's life, and I'm just about finishing up now, guys. At the end of David's life, in 2 Samuel chapter 23, he speaks the last words. These are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse, thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. <laughs> Imagine, this, this is him describing himself, even after, even after the sin with Bathsheba. This is him him describing himself. Was he holding condemnation? No. Why are you holding condemnation whenever Christ has died for your sin and washed you clean? Don't you know that God's covered your sin? Don't you know that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for all that stuff? And so at the last he said, The spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue, said David. The Lord God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just. So he had learned that God, God had spoken to him about being a just ruler, ruling in the fear of God. And here's what he said. And he, that's the person who rules, and he's speaking about himself. He shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. Although my house is not so with God, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant, said David. And it's ordered in all things and secure. For this is all my salvation and this is all my desire. Will he not make it increase? What was David saying? He was saying, I have found a God who wants to, who wants to take me on. He was, he was near the end of his life, but he knew that he had a bright future. He knew that God wanted him to go into the light. He knew that God loved him. And you know what, ladies, and I've, this has been in my mind for weeks now, that God wants you to know that he has a bright future for you. There's a wee a wee verse that I really feel that I, I kinda of want to want to speak over you. And I believe this is I believe this is maybe for somebody specific today about your future. Because um I believe God wants you to know that He has good things for you. He's a good, good God and even in dark times He can bring forth light. And he can bring us through. Here's what it says. The path of the just. This is is Proverbs 4. The path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. I want to read that again. The path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. When you trust Jesus as your saviour, you come into that promise that you are justified because of what he has done. He is, he, when you trust Jesus as your saviour, he looks at you just as if you had never sinned. You're so pure in his sight. And he's saying he wants to make your days brighter, as brighter and brighter, the shining sun that shines ever brighter onto the perfect day. Do you know what, folks? We have a good future in front of us. The enemy doesn't want you to believe that. He doesn't want you to believe that God has good things for you. I'll tell you, in the in the middle of your worst time, I believe that God wants you to believe this truth that there, that God will take you through. I remember when I was going through the worst time in my life, in around 1996 to maybe 1998 or nine. During those the years was probably the lowest point in my life, and I remember God. I remember that sense that God was giving me that He wanted to bring me out of it. And wanted to bring me into his best plans for my life. I would love that you would get a grasp of that tonight. I would love that you would get a grasp that God is for you and not against you. That he wants to bring brightness into your life. That he wants you to go to, when you go towards him, you're you're looking straight into the face of light and brightness. You're looking into the perfect person who loves you perfectly and the one who wants to bring you into more and more light and more and more joy. Do you know that whenever our sins are forgiven and we're walking with God, do you know that's, that's the happiest person you'll ever meet? You tell me about people who are out in the world and who are trying to make themselves happy with drugs and all the rest of it. I'll tell you, it's a, it's a slippery slope down. It's not a happy slope up. You show me people who really want to be real with God and want to be honest before him and come and confess to him whenever they do get it wrong. You tell me, you show me those people who say, God, I'm so sorry, please forgive me and, and, and I want to change and please help me to change Holy Spirit and I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to obey you. Those are the people who get happier and happier and happier and happier and their lives go from one degree of light and brightness to another, to another, to another. God wants to take us step by step, little by little. He wants to lift you up and he wants to take you through the current difficulties that you're in and he wants to bring you to a point where you're buzzing with joy. That's what he wants for you. Nothing less than that because he's a God who's full of light and he wants you to be full of light. The trouble is there's a lot of dark spots in us where we've kept stuff in and we've secret sins and we're petting up secret sins and, and we're not open not confessing our sins and, and that just causes pain because there's darkness in there and Jesus said men love darkness rather than life light because their deeds are evil once we begin to let his light come in and we just confess our sin and get it forgiven and get on become brighter and brighter and brighter listen we have a bright future isn't that just the best news I want to read this to you because it was a, a reading that was sent to me a while back like a prophetic word and I want to speak this over over you all and as I speak this over you all then we're going to just finish and uh, we're going to we're going to sing a song so let me read it to you uh, it's, it's a, a, a word that was given to someone as if the Lord was speaking and I believe it is a word from the Lord for us this weekend I am singing over your future I heard the Lord say I am singing over your future so know that it is not yours to worry about i watched as the lord stood over you and before and before you unraveled his plan for your life he moved forward and stood over what was written and he started to sing the lord's song sorry he started to sing and the lord's song formed an air of protection around it and he finished with this declaration this is the lord speaking over you no one can stop what I have purposed to happen. God says, would you allow a new level of faith to penetrate your being, bringing an end to a fear of the future and a worry about what is going to come. The Lord would say, I have set good things to happen in your life. I have ordained fruitfulness to come from you. I have made you for greatness and your future is protected by my song. Take heart today that your future is protected and as you anticipate what's to come, you need only to expect good things psalm 23 verse 6 written by king david says surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and i shall dwell in the house of the lord forever Amen. that's a word to claim isn't it surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life i'll tell you i would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord, than to be living in some palace somewhere. Would you not? Yes. I tell you, we have the best life. We have we have the secret of joy. We have everything that's good going for us. But we've got to start listening to God and trusting him and obeying him and stepping out in faith. If he tells us to do something, do it, because he's going to give you a great reward just for obeying him. And his pleasure is over our obedience. When we obey him, he just puts his pleasure over us. And we just experience that joy that nothing in this world can give. And we're going to finish off, uh, we're going to sing a song now. It's called The Power of the Cross. Because what we have spoken about over this weekend, none of this is possible without the power of the cross. None of this, oops, none of this is possible if Jesus hadn't gone to the cross to die for our sins. And as we sing this song, uh, I'm not sure what number it is. Anybody find it there? Number four? As we sing this song, at the end of the song, it goes into when I survey the wondrous cross, and we're going to sing right through the whole lot. And after that, uh, we'll be finished. I'll just close in prayer at the end of that.